Hello and welcome to the Swine Disease Reporting System. Uh, this is the uh, report 56. We're going to cover the findings from the previous month, the month of September. Uh, my name is Edison Magalhães, here at the SDRS studio. Hi, my name is Giovanni Trevisan, here at the SDRS. Hi, my name is Guilherme César, also at SDRS studio. Hello, Daniel Linhares with the SDRS. And today, uh, we're going to cover the findings, as I mentioned, uh, in terms of PCR detection for the ag agents uh, that SDRS uh, record data, uh, and also disease diagnosed from, from ISU-VDL. But also after that, after discussing the major findings from the previous month, the month of September, we're going to have a, a discussion with our invited guests here today. So today, we have the pleasure to have here Dr. Andrew Bowman uh, joining the SDRS podcast. Dr. Bowman is currently an associated professor at the Ohio State University Department of Veterinary Pre Preventive Medicine, and he got his, his VDM, uh, Master's, and PhD at the same institution, the Ohio State University, working with viral epidemiology and ve veterinary public health. Dr. Bowman currently works in the Animal Influenza Ecology and Epidemiology Research Program, developing research focusing on the One Health concept of bidirectional disease transmission from swine to humans and from humans to swine and agricultural affairs. Dr. Bowman, welcome to, to the SD, SDIS podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Looking forward to talking about some of our research that we've been doing on influenza and, and as you mentioned, the, the importance of that bidirectional transmission from, from pigs to people and people to pigs. That sounds pretty exciting, Dr. Bowman, and we look forward to that. Before we enter that, let's do some uh, brief update of what's going on in the SDRS report in terms of agent detection. So, Guilherme, could you provide us what's going, what's happening there? Yeah, regarding to PERS virus in our first page of the report, uh, the detection of number of positive submissions is within expected for this period of the year. But when we move to the state-level monitoring, specifically for the win-to-finish category, we are having an early increase activity for the virus in South Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri, and Oklahoma. And when you see those increased activity, what that means for the field? And what's the implication of that? Well, according to our advisory group, that increased percentage of positive submissions uh, for all these states are expected for this specific period of the year, and they are not seeing any atypical purse break being reported. But however, in, uh, the increased activity in the growth finish is relative early for this time of the year and reminds us that we have to keep the alert for biocontainment and biosecurity measures to prevent further spread, mainly for cell farms. Mm -hmm. And how about enteric coronavirus? Well, regarding the enteric coronavirus, we are having good news about PD, for example, that is still above the expected, but when we move to state monitoring level, nowadays we are having just three states with increased activity. If we compare for June, for example, that we achieved six states, now we have less of them, and these three states are only Iowa, Kansas, and North Carolina that are having this increased percentage of positive submissions. And moving to the Delta coronavirus, we also have good news that we stay with a very low overall percentage of positive submissions. And in the week 38 of the year, that is the second week for September, for example, we had we test 851 uh, submissions. 
for this virus, and none of them were positive submissions. So we are having good news for this enteric coronavirus. That's great news. And on top of that, we have TG that has not been detected since April of 2020. So good news there. And how about mycoplasma harmony? Yeah, moving to mycoplasma harmony, we are having a moderate increase in the percentage of positive submissions, mainly in the winter market category. Any comments of what would be a field implication of this? Yes, our advisory group highlighted that most of these cases of mycoplasmas occurs as a part of the swine respiratory disease complex and are typically related, for example, with first virus activity in the winter market category that is opening doors for other agents, for example, mycoplasma and also influenza cases. Well, talking about influenza, what is the news for this month on influenza and highlights there? Yes, now the SDRS, we are uh, adding the influenza subtype in PCR detection in our report. You can see this chart in the same page of the influenza overall detection. And we have some highlights about that, that, for example, since 2020, H1N1 is the predominant one, the subtype predominant detected for influenza. And also what we would like to highlight is the number of mixed infections that we have over 5% of these mixed infections since 2020. And for example, 33% of the submissions of the mixed infections were identified in just one animal, just one animal sample, such as lung tissue, nasal wipe, or nasal swabs, for example, which means that one of these animals were infected with more than one strain. And what our advice group tells us about that, there is some implication that they highlight there. Yeah, our advisory group highlighted that multiple strains are circulating the production system and they monitor influenza mainly when they have a clinical signs on the farms for vaccine updates, for example. But also the producers that are implementing routine monitoring for influenza are using oral fluid from multiple sites to update the vaccine strategy and also monitor for swine respiratory disease complex cases. Great comments. Thank you, Liam. Very good, guys. Thanks for the, for the comments. So these were the, the highlights from the SDRS for the previous month. Now moving to our conversation with, with Dr. Bowman. Dr. Bowman, your research group published data about the importance of wild animals uh, or even exotic domestic animals regarding influenza surveillance. So, for example, the sea duck samples tested for influenza with an H4 gene highly uh, divergent from most North American lineage and, and aerosol transmission from infected swine uh, to ferrets in agricultural fairs. Uh, could you summarize to our audience the importance of these non-domestic species, species in the influenza virus bidirectional disease transmission? Yeah, so when we think about influenza, you know, we have to, we have to remember that we're dealing with a multi-species or multiple host species problem. Um, and so oftentimes we get our blinders on and we think about, you know, influenza in the pigs or we think about influenza in birds or we think about influenza in people. Uh, yet when we trace it all back, right, it's all type A influenza. And, and the, the real root of the, you know, problem here, and as you guys just kind of highlighted, the mixed infections, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether that's within the species or, or movement between species, we know that when we have movement between species, uh, bad things happen, right? If, if you just think about the human side, that's where uh, pandemics come from, right? Every, every human influenza pandemic has originated from a animal to human transmission. 
But if we think about all that diversity of, of flu viruses that we're dealing with in the in the pig side, right? That those are all results of of uh, other ways direction, right? That's a human to to swine transmission for the most part. Although some of that is also wild bird, uh, you know, transmission into pigs. So as we think about transmission between species. Uh, you know, that's, that really is the issue with influenza. It's a giant game of who's giving what to whom. And, and we just seem to, to create more genetic diversity, especially within the pig population. For whatever reason, the pigs seem to, seem to hold on to whatever they get and just add it to the, to the pot, whereas other species, it seems to knock them out or you know, knock out some old diversity and replace it with new. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Bowman, going back to the agricultural fairs, your group has been active on that. Right, of course, a lot of contact between pigs, uh, people, some other some other animals too. And so, what are your general comments around that? Uh, the highlights on, on that uh, interaction as far as bidirectional bi- bi- transmission of uh, influenza. Yeah, the the agricultural fairs right, are, are are an interesting place for zoonotic transmission of of influenza. You know. Uh, oftentimes, we, we really don't think about the show pigs as a, as a major contributor to the swine industry. They only make up about 1.5% of the total pigs in this country. However, they are the pigs on public display, right? You, you, can't, uh, you can't push your stroller down the center aisle of a, of a finishing barn uh, and, and eat a snow cone while you're doing it, but you sure can at an at a agricultural fair. And so we, we create this kind of environment where we have lots of people, and we have multi-source pigs, and so we're basically violating every tenet of biosecurity, uh, but we're doing it right there in, on public display. Um, and so uh, that interface has been very active for uh, viruses coming across the interface, especially the swine to human direction. Um, and so you know, it, it makes sense. We get a lot of pigs from multiple sources together. We co-mingle them, uh, virus amplifies through there, uh, and then we have we have enough virus that can tr- jump into humans. Most of those cases are the youth exhibitors that are, are showing pigs are in direct contact with those pigs. Um, so, um, you know, my group's certainly been very active in understanding that interface, uh, largely because, right, every one of those transmissions could be the, the start of the next pandemic. Um, and so that's why we really have to pay attention to how do we minimize uh, those transmissions um, so that, that we don't end up with another influenza pandemic that might originate Right here in the in the U.S. from a from a county fair. And any connection, any evidence of uh, connections or spillovers from what's going on in those fairs back to the swine industry, the commercials. Yeah, there, there are. Yeah, we, we do have some have some connections of of what do we find in those fairs to the the commercial industry. I think for the most part, the commercial pigs are the source of the flu viruses we find in show pigs. Uh, For the most part, we have flow from the the larger genetic diversity maintained within the commercial population. Uh, We get a spillover into exhibition swine. Then the exhibition swine are the ones on the the public display and it spills over into the people from there. But we do see uh, novel reassortant viruses uh, emerge within those fairs, right? Think about multiple uh, multi-source pigs coming together bring in their own flu viruses, a, a new reassortment can emerge within the fair. And then we see some of that spill back into commercial swine. We know somewhere between uh, 10 to 25 percent of, uh, of exhibition swine uh, exhibitors 
report that they have contact with commercial swine on, a, on at least a weekly basis. Uh, and so, right, we, we have some of that connection. I think that's where those spillovers are happening. And then we end up with a, with a new reassortment back into the commercial swine. So um, it's, not a, it's not a one-way flow uh, down. There, there are novel ones coming back into the commercial swine industry uh, from the fairs. And you talked about practices to uh, minimize that risk, right? What, what's your advice to the public audience who will be visiting fairs? What can they do to minimize that uh, risk? Yeah, I think for the, the general audience going to fairs, you have to consider the idea that uh, we, we find influenza in about 25% of the, the fairs we go to every year. So um, it, it's not an uncommon finding. Uh, and so you just have to assume it's there. But I, I think a lot of people don't consider that. So folks at high risk for complications from influenza infection, uh, especially uh, those that are young, old, immunocompromised, uh, may, may need to consider not going in the pig barns. Uh, and then there's other things like not eating or drinking in the barns, washing hands, um, you know, minimizing how much time uh, you're spending in the barn uh, certainly can help. Uh, but then we also have a whole host of, of other recommendations that we have for the show organizers around uh, uh, limiting the amount of time the pigs are there so we can, we can decrease generation cycles and, and not amplify as much virus. Uh, and then other ideas, you know, for the for the exhibitors, like not bringing sick pigs, or, you know, visibly sick pigs to the to the fairs, or having uh, quarantine isolation pens at home, uh, you know, if they're showing a lot or they have sick pigs. Those are, are very good information to share with science industry. And thank you for doing those. Um, this arena of disease prevention by security practice. Is there anything else that you could advise our science stakeholders to take? advantage to avoid any pathogen spillover between such as the, the influenza between humans and animals? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in general, we, we have the issue of, uh, you know, folks that are, are known ill, um, right? And so especially uh, if, you're, if you're sick, you have influenza-like illness. And, and I know we've just come through the pandemic and everyone kind of assumes it's, it's COVID. Uh, but, you know, I, I think especially for those of us that are around pigs every day, we've got to consider the idea that uh, we're probably bringing, well, we know we're, humans are, are contributing more flu viruses to pigs than pigs are to people. Um, and, and certainly we have incentives to go to work and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we really have to consider those ideas. So I think the self-monitoring of, of individuals who are around pigs uh, for influenza-like illness or even, you know, rapid tests, uh, to, to stay away when you're potentially shedding flu viruses because, um, right, that, that's got major implications uh, of one person coming in when they're shedding flu, and it can obviously train wreck a whole system. Still talking about prevention, Dr. Bowman, your group has some publication about influenza vaccination that can avoid, like, this bidirectional transmission because you decrease the shedding in the animals, for example. So could you explain a little bit more about difference between vaccines and protocols that we can use to prevent this transmission? Yeah, so, yeah, we, we did a study a couple of years ago looking at uh, vaccinating the animals, uh, vaccinating the pigs at fairs, trying to prevent transmission or at least decrease the, the likelihood of transmission. Um, and it, and it, the reality is it didn't matter which vaccine we used, and, and we were... We were using mismatched virus, 
Um, and so, right, we did, as we know with flu viruses, a better match is, is right, results in better protection. In this case, we, we basically went for the worst case scenario of a, of a complete mismatch with the vaccine strains. And we still saw decreased shedding uh, in animals that were vaccinated, you know, even with that mismatch vaccine. Um, and so the idea that they are shedding flu for a shorter period of time, and when they are shedding, they shed less, right, certainly decreases the opportunity for influenza to make that, that, le that leap between uh, pigs and people. And, and that's vice versa too, right? We recommend that swine workers get vaccinated for influenza. Just like I mentioned, the idea that if they're vaccinated, they're going to shed influenza for a shorter period of time and decrease the likelihood that they're going to infect the animals that they're caring for. Uh, so vaccines have a major role. Um, we could debate all day long about which ones to pick and, and getting proper matches. But I, you know, at least in our studies, we had decent evidence that it, it didn't matter which one. Uh, certainly some are, be you know, some would perform better based on antigenic uh, cross reactions. Uh, but, but nonetheless, vaccine was, was better than nothing. So especially in those situations, you know, for fairs where we've got that, those pigs at, at high, uh, high contact with people, it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't know that it, it makes economic sense to vaccinate every, every market age pig in the country. Um, right. That's, that's probably a different situation because they aren't in high contact with, with people, but those pigs that are going to be on public display. Uh, I think that's one of those, those major interventions that, that we should really push. But about show pigs as well, Dr. Bowman, do you think we could like vaccinate them before they arrive in the fair, for example, like a couple of weeks ago to have some immunity and avoid this kind of transmission? Yeah, we, we've certainly had that discussion of, of could we do that? And some fairs do, um, but, but remember, Uh, vaccines don't prevent infection, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it might, and as we've seen, we're afraid that uh, in some of those cases, the vaccine may uh, mask, uh, you know, clinical signs and make it harder for us to detect that there's an outbreak. Uh, we, we've seen outbreaks in, in fully vaccinated pigs where everyone says, oh, they don't look, they didn't look sick, uh, but yet there's a, you know, there's a youngster that's in the hospital because they got infected with a, with the swine lineage virus. And so, um, you know, I, I think we, it's a, it's a mixture of things. We can't just rely on, on one thing. And so saying they're vaccinated and forget about the issue uh, doesn't do it. But I, I think there certainly are ways. Uh, my group's working on doing surveillance, uh, you know, kind of earlier in the show season, seeing how far upstream we can get to identify what strain is predominant. And then we maybe could make a, uh, you know, educated, recommendation for vaccine that that might be pretty targeted um you know if we if we rolled it out right ahead of ahead of show season and said yeah that's the one to use this year mm -hmm. oh thanks a lot dr bowman thanks for joining us today in this uh, podcast and bringing all this information yeah thanks for having me it's been a blast yeah so that was it guys for this this month report thanks for for joining us and i'll see you guys next month thank you Thank you. Thank you.